This is the USS Montana, the second largest vessel in the North Atlantic Fleet. You will change course 15 degrees north, or I will be forced to take measures to ensure the safety of this ship. Over! This is the lighthouse, mate. It's your call. Hello? Captain? Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a podcast where you'll hear about blockchain, cryptocurrency, emerging markets and future tech in relatively plain English. We'll help you stare across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for the FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Episode 20. Episode 20. How keen is this? We made it. Celebrated with some cheese. Yeah, we got some cheese, got some crackers, we got some prosciutto, we got some beer. We're having a party here in the FOMO studio. So, hope you've enjoyed the ride. Um, Mm. We've really enjoyed the ride. Let us know. Let us know what your best memory of 20 episodes are. Yeah, we, you know, for everyone who's joined us, and even if you just joined us, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, and look, if you do want to be a part of the show, you can record a voice message in our Telegram and send it to send it to us. So you can go to FOMO.show slash Telegram, and uh, that's our like our chat area, that's mm-hmm. our chat program. But yeah, you can hear it. You can hear a bunch about what we're doing in there. You can have some good conversations, and yeah, if you want to be a part of the show, send us a message on that. So, what are we talking about this episode? So, we've got an interview with Blockgrain. So, I interviewed Blockgrain last week. They were in town for an event with mm. uh, Nuggets News, who mm. some Australian people may know of. Is like a, it's a YouTube channel that covers a lot of cryptocurrency and blockchain stuff. Blockgrain are an ICO that's targeted towards the agricultural industry. Mm. So... They've been around for quite a long time. They've got a working product already. Uh, they've done some significant work in their industry already. I sat down with Kale, who's the CEO of Blockgrain, right. and we had a, a good little interview. Mm. We'll, we'll put that in uh, towards the back end of the show. But uh, what else are we talking about? We're going to be covering a few little bits of news. A lot, a lot of interesting little stories this week. Um and also, we're going to be talking about the IOTA Tangle. Some really exciting things going on there. So, really looking forward to that. Mm. What have you been up to this week? Um, yeah, so I went to the meetup, the Blockgrain meetup, which we oh, just yeah. mentioned earlier, which was which was a really good night. Um, got to spend some time with the team before the meetup, just pick their brain a little bit about what they're wanting to do away from the scenes. Amazing. The uh, the meetup venue actually got changed like literally when we arrived at the hotel. Wow. So we ended up walking halfway back across Brisbane <laughs> to another hotel. But uh, we got there in the end and yeah, it was a good turnout. About, a, about 100 people here in Brisbane wow. probably showed up for the meetup and some good conversations. And mm. yeah, that, that was really good. And I was down in Melbourne last week. Nice. So giving, a, giving another... Blockchain masterclass workshop down oh, there for like a very orientated towards business with smart contracts. Melbourne's a cool city, man. Mm. And, and while I was down there, I got to go to the Blockchain Center, oh, which is kind of like a hub they've built down there, a co-working space yeah. for all things blockchain. And I think NEM have their national headquarters down there and there's a few other organizations that are based there. And I also saw one of our long-time listeners, James. Oh. We had this weird moment where I walked in and he was looking at me and I was looking at him and I was like, <laughs> I know you. And then he heard me interviewing the... Yeah. Uh, when I was talking to the NEM guys and we were, I was interviewing them and I came out and he's like, are you Matt? 
I said, yeah. And he said, I recognised your voice, man. I'm James. I listen to the podcast. And he'd just been over at Consensus. Wow. And he had some wow. great stories from there. Um, sounded like he had a really good time. So it was just a really good time down in Melbourne, man. And um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see whether we can we can get something like that up here in Brisbane because wow. it was it was they've got a really good thing going down. There's some cool here. artwork out the front. From yeah, the photos yeah, they've done it all up. Really, wow. really cool. Um, the the staff are amazing. I literally tweeted at them like half an hour before I arrived, saying, "Hey, I'm in Melbourne. Can I come check the place out?" Wow. And that was straight back to me. Yep, come. They looked after me. That's um, awesome. Just really, really hospitable. Yeah, so there'll be a couple of interviews going up on our YouTube pretty soon. We interviewed the NEM team from down in Melbourne. Amazing. We interviewed the Blockchain Centre team as well. Uh, And so we'll put the videos up and we'll probably stick them in one of our other episodes going forward because they're really good interviews. But if you Mm. do want to get in early, you can jump on our YouTube. Those interviews will probably go up soon. So I had a a great couple of weeks, man. It was a packed a lot in to a very small period of time. What have you been up to? Mate, nothing anywhere near as exciting as that. That was that sounds awesome. Yeah, just the seeing your photos when you're gone and like what was going on, mate. You had, you had a proper adventure out there. Mm. I've been working. I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of reading the news. Um, so I've been re- I, I've been reading this Internet Trends report um, from KCPB, which is a venture capital firm. It comes out every year, the last day of May, and it's just hundreds of slides of just data of what's going on, adoption of mobile. Wow. You know, whether it's, you know, Uber's travel numbers, just talking about all the trends and what's going on in the internet. Now, there's so much stuff in it. I was going to do a feature for this episode, but I haven't digested it fully yet. So that's been really exciting. Um, We've been watching, I've been watching the the EOS uh, mainnet launch. Very confusing. Well, I see. Yeah, I've been refreshing my, like, Reddit on my phone every half an hour (laughs) to see if there's any new new news. Mm. I made sure I got all my EOS into one account just before the the mainnet launch because it was kind of in a few different Ethereum accounts and a lot of airdrops aren't... um, I think I asked you if you had like over 100 EOS because a lot of airdrops aren't airdropping to people with less than 100 EOS. So I had to like make sure I had everything in one account to, you know, instead of, you know, having things in different accounts, make sure I got over the threshold. So... Yeah, but it's been really interesting. There's a, I'm, we don't know how it's going to play out. We've yeah. decided not to really do much on it tonight, just mm. because we've decided not to do much on it this episode, just because it, we're not sure where things are going to end up. Yeah. But it's been really interesting watching the community come together and try and get the the snapshot done, and then mm. um, get the the BIOS booted up. Because mm. uh, it's not the company that's developing it that's releasing the mainnet. No, it's not. And it was really funny. There was a something that went up on Reddit today. It had like a photo of Dan Larimer because he always pops into the Telegram chats. And Dan Larimer is the guy that essentially created EOS. Yeah. And one of the block producer representatives um, was there and Dan said, oh, how's it going? And the block producer representative said, oh, it's going pretty well. Would you like to have a look to make sure that we're getting everything right? And Dan just wrote back, no, and then had a little like smiley face with sunglasses on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they're staying well away just because the, the terms of the crowd sale and everything else was that it would be they would just build the software mm-hmm. and the community would actually launch the the platform mm. and that was really important to them to for legal reasons as mm. well as just trying to get the community in, as involved as possible mm. um, um if there's we're not going to hold on eos too too much longer but if there's one pe- one takeaway that you've got for any listeners who have eos and to do with this mainnet launch yep what would it be? Do not, under any circumstances, 
import your EOS account onto anyone's chain or give anyone your private keys or any of your account details until you've, first of all, checked that the person that's saying you probably should is a reputable source. Mm -hmm. You've checked maybe four or five other sources to make sure Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. they're saying that that source is a reputable source. Mm -hmm. And you've essentially done all your due diligence to make sure that what you're importing it into is actually legit because there are going to be a lot of scams around mm. and that they can be quite sophisticated. So I, I'd take a very cautious approach. You're not going to lose out on anything by not importing your EOS because the snapshot they've taken is of the Ethereum yep. accounts. So any airdrops that happen, you're not going to lose out if you don't import straight away. So take your time. Take your time. Let the dust settle. Um, we'll try and update things on Twitter when, if we get the chance. Uh, if we see something good come from one of the block producers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's a few very good block producers out there. I just follow them on Twitter as well. Just okay. so you've got a bit of an update on what they're saying and they're all being very cautious too. So awesome. just awesome. be careful out there. Don't lose your EOS. Bit of disclosure. Is this investment or any other advice? No. No, it's not. Um, look, New cryptocurrencies are popping up every day. It's hard to know which ones are legitimate and which aren't. We're not saying you should buy anything at all. We're not saying you should invest in anything at all or build your platforms on anything at all. For full disclosure, we're personally invested in different cryptocurrencies and we do talk about some of them on the show. So, um, do your research. Never invest more than you can afford to lose and avoid the fear of missing out. So if you're new around here and new to crypto, you can check out our Blockchain Basics series. It starts from episode two and continues until around episode eight. Mm. It'll give you some grounding in the fundamentals and help you understand what on earth we're talking about. Amazing. So what's going on in the news this week? Mate, there have been a few different cool stories. The first one, just another little uh, dig in the side of the existing financial system. A visa system outage caused Europe-wide chaos... Um, the Visa network was down for about five hours, starting around 2.30pm on Friday in the UK, and Visa car holders across Europe were unable to make purchases. There were people are stuck at train stations, all kinds of things happening. Yeah, so, so Visa apologised late on Friday, saying that it had fallen well short of its goal to ensure cards work reliably at all times. Mm. And major retailers had earlier confirmed that card purchases were failing and there were queues building up all over the place at petrol stations and shopping. It was just chaos. It's, it's just incredible to look at like how dependent people have become on mm, this system, mm. this very centralized system that no one really can audit, no one knows anything about. And uh, yeah, the technology just failed. Mm. It kind of reminds you when, you're, when your ISP, when your internet provider goes down, mm. especially on a weekend, yep. you're at the mercy of someone actually having a telecoms engineer who wants to come out mm. on a Saturday at 6 p.m. Yep. to repair stuff. Yeah. And you're meanwhile sitting at home crying. <laughs> I mean, you probably don't get downtime where you're listening from, but yep. in our country, Australia, goodness forbid, yikes. It's, <laughs> it's horrific. We've got to say it. This wouldn't happen on a blockchain. Mm. You, you've got to, With a blockchain, you've got a distributed system, thousands and thousands of computers. It's open 24-7. There's never been a known outage of the Bitcoin network or the mm-hmm. Ethereum network or anything like that. It just keeps going and going and going. It's possible, but it's pretty unlikely. It's just another, I guess, reinforcement of the fact that blockchain is a superior system 
for this kind of stuff. Mm. Right, next piece, Binance, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, are set to launch a $1 billion investment fund. Yeah. Have you read into this much? Yeah, I, I haven't read into it a lot, but I, I did read a couple of articles on it. It's, it's big, mate. Like, they... um. Uh, they said they're seeking 20 funds to invest in, which each manage a pool of at least $100 million in order to be eligible. Wow. So, it seems like what they're doing is they're saying, we've got all this money and we want other funds to to join in mm-hmm. that will specifically pick the, the different projects that they want to invest yeah. in. But... um. Yeah, Binance seem to be really pushing things forward. They've moved to Malta now or they're relocating to Malta as we yeah, speak. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they seem to really want to push things forward. And they actually said, uh, this was Ella Zhang, head of the exchange's incubator program. She said, we believe it's a disruptive social experiment. Binance Labs hopes to work with more aspirational projects to explore blockchain applications and together move forward with the growth of the industry. So they're not sitting around waiting to just sort of die out. No. No, and it's it's, it's incredible seeing an exchange do this because wow. you know, most exchanges just kind of take your money yeah. and make a lot of profits mm. and haven't really done... They'll invest in their own infrastructure, mm. but you don't see them doing a lot to invest in other projects. I mm. think Eric Voorhees' um, Shapeshift and that that gr- group of products, I right. think they, right. they're they probably the exception. They do seem to invest a bit more back into the community, but... Um, this is really cool to see because it's a billion dollars too. Like it's not it's not a small amount of money. Yeah. What I thought was interesting is that it's a it's a combination of a fund of funds, and it's also got a direct fund that invests in blockchain projects. So they're not yep. just relying on their own know how. Yeah, they're reaching out to all these other funds and saying, "Look, we want to get capitalized on your knowledge and your investment prowess mm. to spot some other things." So yep. they're really casting their net wide. So next bit of news, the Bank of England has issued a working paper on central bank digital currencies. And this is one you picked up, Joe, from Zero Hedge. Yeah. So saying central banks are progressively studying the introduction of central central bank digital currencies and their potential impact on the banking system. You had like the other week, Norway's central bank issued a working paper on them. And then the, the Federal Council of the Government of Switzerland even requested a report on the risks and opportunities. But interesting in this Bank of England report... They were sort of looking at the different ways that it could be used. And mm. it's interesting to think they're all scoping it out. And I think the key takeaway from all that for me was that they're still very much trying to fit the old model into the new model, mm. you know. And that's that seems to be where they're focusing their efforts there. And, and this is a race to see whether a truly decentralized currency can kind of gain ascendancy or a mm. bunch of decentralized currencies. Or we're going to see these centralized institutions adapt and adopt the technology and present it in such a way that... You know, they cut costs, they cut settlement times, they give you a lot of the benefits you get from a cryptocurrency mm-hmm. without the decentralization and openness. Mm. None of these models are open in the way that Bitcoin is open mm. or Ethereum is mm. open because a Bitcoin or an Ethereum or whatever else, you don't need a central bank. <laughs> you mm. just don't. Mm. Um, so the models they're proposing here are, are kind of their effort to scramble and and it ties them in very specifically too. Yeah, it does, and it's it's, well, it's right there in the names. You know, even the economy wide access model, which they've said there, everything goes through the central bank. Mm. Everything's controlled and issued by the central bank. Well, I mean, how else would you print money out of thin air? <laughs> That's right. Mm. Airdrops for everyone. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. that's definitely one to watch. Um, but you know, we're naive if we think they're not working on it. Mm. Yeah. 
Next bit of news. The uh, BTCC founder tweeted that 95% of ICOs are database projects. Uh, and this was... So, Bobby Lee uh, tweeted recently, he said, people don't realize that blockchain should be distinct and different from databases invented decades ago. Bitcoin's real blockchain was only invented in 2009. Everyone using a digital ledger is calling it blockchain without regards to functionality. Complete intellectual dishonesty. He then went on to tweet, the most commonly ignored aspect of a blockchain is that all data going into the blockchain needs to be independently and publicly verifiable Mm. and thus insertable by anyone. Mm. Otherwise... It's just private data where you are the sole judge and author, and therefore that's a centralized database. Yeah. That's really tweeted. What are your thoughts on that? I'm completely sympathetic to that attitude because the amount of projects that you'll look at, especially ICOs, mm. where they've essentially just taken like a centralized use case and chucked the word blockchain in it, and then mm. you read into it and you're like, well, but this is still centralized. Like mm. you're still forcing everyone to go through your project. Mm. And you're still hosting all the nodes, or you might let some other people host the nodes, but it's all under your framework. And um, yeah, like there's, they're definitely correct in the fact that a lot, most of these ICOs are just running database projects with mm. blockchain wax on it. I mean, do you do you, do you agree? In oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. I read his read his tweets, and I thought, yeah, that's a you know a great points he's making, and. I mean, he's, it just just does feel so scammy when mm. you're looking at it. I mean, we're running a podcast on this stuff, but it just, you look out on Twitter. I yep. mean, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> that's like judging a, judging a town by walking through the red light district. Yikes, like, it's absolutely filth. It's it just it just feels so scammy. But this is why we've avoided talking about a lot of ICOs too. For you listeners, you'll notice that we don't cover a lot of these ICO projects simply because we're not comfortable covering them mm, because... Yeah. They are so scammy. If you want scalability and you want speed, mm-hmm. go for your life on a centralized database. I don't think we're ever going to get to how fast a centralized database is with a blockchain. But if you want immutability, trustlessness, and decentralization, mm-hmm. uh, then a blockchain makes more sense. Mate, this is a cool little piece. The f- Tron founder, Tron is one of those massive big crypto token mm. things that's out there um they've raised i think it's over a billion yeah um their founder is reportedly looking to acquire BitTorrent incorporated now this is coming out of torrentfreak.com which is quite a good news source actually um yeah so justin's son his plans for BitTorrent incorporated remain unclear he's not spoken about the acquisition in public obviously but it's likely that it will be used to the advantage of tron now what is interesting is tron have stated that their plans are to decentralize the internet and with BitTorrent being you know this peer-to-peer file sharing Mm. network Mm. whether this deal goes through or not it sounds pretty plausible BitTorrent is just the right sort of architecture to sort of build that on it could only be good for them Mate, next piece, you sent me the link to this, and it was so cool. I had a little read through it. Um, it was to do with deep learning networks. And what was it? Convolutional neural networks, CNNs. Mm. Mm. What's this story all about? Yeah, so this is a this is a new deep learning algorithm that, that people have been... Or it's a network, actually, that's been in development. And the purpose of it is to look at photos of people's skin mm. and see if they can diagnose... They can get this neural network essentially to diagnose skin cancer Hmm. and what they've found is that after training this they've they've, and they've used they've done it in concert with some dermatologists and they keep showing these 
this CNN more and more images of, mm-hmm. of different people, they've found that the CNN was able to accurately detect 95% of skin cancers from the images, while the dermatologists were only able to identify around 866 It's fascinating how you train neural networks. They basically got more than 100,000 images of malignant and benign skin cancers and moles and stuff, and basically attached to each image is like almost a tag saying, this was skin cancer, this was not skin cancer. Mm. And then they just, you just chuck all these images into a neural network. Yeah. And and you're just getting it to train. Yeah. And and it's like, it's a child, and then suddenly it's like a toddler. Yeah. And then, you know, they're just, these things are getting better and and better. And then suddenly it's buying military hardware online and (laughs) and arming an army. (laughs) I need to actually rewatch those films. War games. Oh, mate. (laughs) And Terminator, yeah, too. Oh, but yeah, War Games, man. That was such a good film. Yeah. I remember that from childhood. Yeah. Matthew Broderick. The Netherlands Land Registry is looking to test uh, a blockchain solution for real estate. Yeah, so the Land Registry is tasked with overseeing ownership, mortgage rights, and all third-party data related to the national property market, and is reportedly seeking to explore the technical, legal, and governance aspects of blockchain as part of its efforts to create a more flexible and agile organization. So, an enterprise architect at the Land Registry revealed that the registry is also experimenting with artificial intelligence for predictive data systems. So, there's a lot of cool stuff that the Netherlands are doing with, mm. with tech. Um, and it's cool seeing mm. that that's how it's done. Well, I mean, that's, that's another thing. Like, if you, you know, if you want to have a, like, if you buy a house, at the moment, your, your land title essentially rests some, in some library somewhere on a piece of paper. And if your country is lucky enough to have upgraded a little bit they may have that like in digital form and you can pay twenty dollars or it's twenty dollars here in queensland to retrieve that from like the land tiles registry but it's all in the government servers so if there's a fire and then the server gets knocked out it would be absolute chaos mm. like trying to piece back together the land registry so if you're a homeowner or you're a mortgager or you're a bank or you're even the government if you can instead start storing that on some kind of distributed decentralized solution which is redundant where there's multiple copies held all over the world in some kind of encrypted form that would make sense mate this is a terrifying one ditch your alexa devices well or keep them if you really like welcoming our robot overlords Mm. so a portland oregon couple received a phone call from one of the husband's employees earlier this month telling them she'd just received a recording of them talking privately in their home. Unplug your Alexa devices right now, the colleague told the couple, who did not wish to be fully identified. You're being hacked. At first, the couple thought it might have been a hoax call. However, the employee, over 100 miles away in Seattle, confirmed the leak by revealing that the pair had just been talking about hardwood floors. Now, Amazon released a statement being like, look, (laughs) Alexa had this miraculous mistake where it thought you said, phone, somebody. And Alexa would have said, okay, who would you like to call? And then it mistook another thing from their conversation as, oh, call, you know, this colleague, Mm. what's name, what's name? Mm. And then Alexa would have been like, okay, initiating call and phoned them. Right. What is weird is that your audio data is being streamed somewhere. Yeah. 
to some you know, service. Here it was apparently because they initiated a phone call purely by accident. <laughs> now, as far as I'm concerned, I'm never buying one of these for my house. I already no. have an already always listening phone, yep. which is more than enough. But yep. whether that's an accident or not, that is not right. Just the idea that everything you're saying is being streamed live somewhere else. Mm. Not a fan. No. Are you a fan? I'm not a fan at all. It's oh. like having a wiretap in your house. Yeah. Mate, this last piece is probably the most exciting piece. Yeah, mate, hit us. What is it? So Lamborghini's Terzo Millennio, I can't even do Italian language justice. This new electric concept car, it's a concept car at this stage, it won't have a battery. It will be a battery. So working alongside the best minds at MIT, Lamborghini has developed a groundbreaking method of storing energy in parts made of carbon fibre, essentially turning the entire car's body into a rechargeable battery of sorts. Now, what I would suggest is that you look at the pictures in this article. Uh, It's in our show notes. The Terzo Millennia from Lamborghini. It kind of looks a bit too futuristic, I heard someone tell me yesterday. But it looks that, like a Batmobile. Yeah. And as they're saying, it's way too soon to expect this technology to find itself in automobiles. Um, their head of research, I think it was, was saying, add a few more years for industrialization or whatever. And you could see you could see this ultra-futuristic technology um, in its first ever EV hit the road by 2030. Right. But by 2030, we could have cars that they're well, not having massive <laughs> battery packs. And they'll all be automated. <laughs> so what's the point in having a Lambo? That's so true. You're only going to go naught to 60 and then never above 60 (laughs) because why would you? Because it's against the law. And And you'll probably be flying through the air anyway. Mate, this is good. This is very good. So we're getting an update about IOTA. So we talked about IOTA way back in episode six. And if you don't know what IOTA is, go back there. We do our best to explain it back there. And it's very different to most of the other blockchain projects mm, because it's mm. not a blockchain, yeah. really. It's what's called a decentralized or a directed acyclic graph. And we talked about that too back in episode 18. Yeah. So you can go back and listen to that episode as well if you need some more background on what a directed acyclic graph is or a DAG. Mm. Um, but IOTA are essentially trying to be a mesh network for... IoT devices. Mm. So you'll know now that your fridges are starting to come with little computers, toasters, uh, little. There's a lot of heat sensors that are IoT enabled devices, and what it allows you to do is to essentially connect all your devices together in one big network. And IoT are trying to build a system where that is all decentralized. <laughs> it's um, it's immutable. It's trustless, similar to how a blockchain works. And Cubic is their new project. So what's Cubic all about? Yeah, so Cubic is essentially, from from my reading of it, and this is really fresh news, so I think this all got released today or yesterday. It's wow. very new. Um, essentially, it's IOTA trying to bring in a lot of the features and functionality we know from other platforms like Ethereum and NEM and NEO and EOS. So they want to bring in oracles, they want to bring in smart contracts, and they want to do this interesting thing called outsource computations. So first thing to say is it's still a work in progress. So Mm -hmm. there's no new tokens, no new coins, there's no airdrops or ICOs, but we're just going to run through it and do our best to kind of give you a a very general overview of, of what this is, and then we'll probably look at it in more detail at a later date. So what is it aiming to do? 
Yeah, so Cubic is essentially aiming to provide a, a way to safely communicate with the outside world in a trustless environment. Right. In, sorry, in a trusted environment. Uh, and they want to be a computing platform for building complex IoT or Internet of Things applications. Right. They also want to have a new type of smart contract which can collect micropayments in real time wow. as those micropayments run. Wow. And they also want to give a reward system so people can be incentivized to actually participate in this thing wow. and provide their computers. So that's their aims, and they're very wow. high and lofty aims. But I'm not saying it's incentivizing honest participation. Yeah, so they're trying to design a system where you'll be able to determine who is participating honestly and providing good data wow. and not trying to fudge the numbers essentially and make money off it and who's not doing that. Wow. So oracles which are built into this, as you mentioned, as you were saying, that's bringing data from outside the blockchain yeah. into this system. Now, just like the blockchain, the Tangle, which is what IOTA has, has real problems bringing data in. So... Mm. The big problem with this is trust. Mm. Talk a bit more about that. Yeah, so you've got essentially with a blockchain or with the Tango with IOTA, you've got a closed off system. So it's decentralized in a sense that it can be run all over the world, but it's very hard to bring data into that system because it's 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 running on different types of rules mm. to, to how we run the internet. And it's all about providing trustless information. So if you've got like a ledger and it's just got financial data, to try and bring in some data from outside means you've got to find a way to put it on that ledger uh, in a way that everyone can agree that, yep, that's trusted and we can we can bring that data mm, in. Mm, mm. So, for example, you could use that for, like, temperature data from real-world sensors, right. uh, current or historical stock value from the stock market, wow. personal attributes like someone's age or marital status or deceased status or even, like, election results. Wow, wow. A lot wow. of that stuff's hosted on private servers, mm. But if you have a way to bring it in onto the blockchain, then all of a sudden you can build applications to use that data. So how are IOTA doing this whole, uh, solving this whole Oracle problem? IOTA are proposing having essentially groups of oracles mm -hmm. and uh, those oracles can come to what's called a quorum. Mm -hmm. So for those that don't know, a quorum is something that we draw from corporations, essentially. If, if you've got like a corporation and... You, the corporation wants to make a decision, mm -hmm. you'll generally want to have a vote on that decision. Or it's the same for associations, same for a number of different things. But you need to have a certain amount of people to even begin the vote. And then you need to have a certain amount of people say yes to a vote before it can be satisfied. So that's kind of what we call reaching quorum. Mm -hmm. And what these guys are saying is essentially that if you can have groups of oracles so groups of nodes all bringing information in from outside mm. and then they all kind of look at that information before it gets written to the blockchain and check that they agree that it's correct mm -hmm. then you can start to reach quorum and the way that they incentivize people to do that is by having the person requesting the information offer them a reward for right, going right, right, right. So if you're building an application using IOTA mm -hmm. that needs to pull in information from outside, mm -hmm. you can say, well, I'm going to offer, you know, for argument's sake, one IOTA as a reward for these oracles to bring that stock market data in for me wow. from outside. And they say that if you need more security, you can ask a bigger group of, of these nodes to do it for you. Mm -hmm. If you're more concerned about speed, you might use what's called a smaller assembly. Or you may have, there might be like a trusted assembly that people know is reliable, it's smaller, it's quicker, and you could just use that. 
Wow. And so that's kind of like the public and private oracles. You either you go to a public one or there might be a company that you trust and they run a really quick oracle, but it doesn't have the same amount of people checking it. Mm. And that's a quick one. It's a lot of technical stuff, but anytime you're trying to pull in data, it's really, really important mm. from a blockchain sense. So that's why IOTA is, is making such a big deal out of mm. it. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So, Cubix, how mm. does that come into this? Yeah, so Cubix are essentially kind of like the smart contracts, in a way, of the the, the Cubic world. So, they're prepackaged quorum-based computational tasks, they call them. Right. And to pull that apart, what that essentially means is it's code, mm-hmm. which has, a, has to come to quorum in some kind of way. So, yep. it has to come to some kind of agreement, and you can use that code to perform tasks. Right. So they're published like messages, like normal messages in normal transactions, mm-hmm. similar to how you do it on Ethereum, but they're event driven. So if you put a cubic on the, the tangle, the IOTA tangle, it'll just sit there in like a dormant state. Mm-hmm. But when something happens, which it's which it applies to, then it'll start doing things. Right. So it'll just sit there on the network listening for an event. And then once that event happens, then it will take action. So you can pro- you can program it to take action based on certain events. So do they have, I'm guessing they've got some kind of language that does all this stuff? Yeah, so they've they've built a very specific language for it called Abra, which is a functional language and they've built a number of predefined basic functions into it. So I think that's quite similar to Solidity. I honestly haven't had a lot of time to go through it, but Mm -hmm. from reading the documentation, it seems similar to the documentation I read for Solidity, which is Ethereum's right. programming language. Not similar in form, but similar in the sense that they're like, we've built this new system mm-hmm. and we need a programming language that can use this new system. So this all runs on the Cubic Protocol. And what does that sort of mean? Yeah, so Cubic Protocol, from my reading anyway, is kind of like the virtual machine for IOTA. Mm. So at the moment, you've got like the IOTA ledger, Mm. which can run accounts for all sorts of different IoT devices, and they can send IOTA to each other. Mm. But that's kind of it. They can't send too much other data other than transactional data. It's just a, a pretty basic ledger. So you can kind of picture this as like a an operating system which all the nodes run to execute some more complex tasks and applications and and things like that. So are there any other sort of features for this? Yeah, so the one other feature that that really intrigued me about this, and obviously we're only getting the initial information right now, is this concept of outsourced computing. And for those that know a bit about IOTA, it's, it's all about connecting up all these very small computer chips in all these like household devices, mm. essentially, and there is zero transfer, zero um, zero transfer fees for the transactions. Um, so it's all meant to be very quick, um, very fast, very cheap. The whole idea is, you know, it's an economy of scale. Like if you have two hundred million fridges on your network, even if they're all a very small computer chip, mm-hmm. you've got a significant amount of computing power mm. between all those fridges mm-hmm. and the more you have on the network the stronger the network gets mm-hmm. because they're very small there's not a lot of overheads and it could potentially just be like a chip that's put in every single microprocessor mm-hmm. and a little iota enabled chip what they've identified is that one fridge can't compute like let's say you you've got you're running power ledger as well and you want your fridge to talk to your computer chip that runs your electricity mm-hmm. and you want your fridge to tell your computer chip what the times are when it needs the most power Mm -hmm. and what the times are when it needs the least power. Um, That could be... that To work that out could be quite computationally intense. Mm -hmm. So it could take 
a significant amount of computing power to crunch all the numbers and work all that mm-hmm. out. So instead of having the fridge try and do it and fry its little microprocessor, mm-hmm. it could instead say to the network, you've got all this comp- combined computing power. I just need it for like two seconds and just to compute this one thing and then I'm done. That way, the fridge can then get the information it needs and send it to the, wow. the device without you mm-hmm. even really need to do anything about it. And that's kind of the motivation behind this whole wow. outsourcing the computing thing. Wow. Yeah. This whole smart contract's part of it? Yeah, so it'll be it'll be um, free of fees, so similar to how EOS is doing it. Mm-hmm. And so the smart contracts are essentially the cubics, and they're talking about being able to aggregate a lot of these cubics together in bigger contracts. So mm. let's say you've got a number of oracles all pulling in temperatures. You could build a smart contract that could take all those different temperatures systematically whenever needed, right. aggregate them all, work out an average, and then publish them to the Tangle. Wow. And you've essentially built another Oracle out of a smart contract. Wow. So that's kind of what they're planning on building onto the system. Um, That's kind of all the information we have at the moment. It's all pretty general, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of diagrams. Uh, The the documentation is basic, but it's quite instructive Mm -hmm. if you go through it. Is there anything our audience can see more about it with? Yes, there's a, there's a teaser video out at the moment, which we'll link. It's still all very new, like we said, so mm-hmm. there'll probably be more resources coming out over time. So we will circle back around to it mm-hmm. when we get the chance. Yeah, definitely one to watch. Um, it's just really good to see more coming out of IOTA. Amazing. Last week, you had the opportunity to interview the CEO of Blockgrain. Mm. Now, Blockgrain is a fascinating agriculture startup in the blockchain space. Really cool stuff, and you learn a bunch of stuff from that. Yeah, it was it was a really good interview. Um, I really really enjoyed it. Kale was just incredibly interesting to talk to, both on on the mic and off the mic. Wow, uh, he's someone that's got a significant amount of experience in the industry, and is setting out to just try and make life better for farmers, which wow. is something. Really close to my heart. Yeah. Uh, for anyone that's been listening to the podcast, would know for a while that I'm from a farm myself. And look, what he's doing, I'm I'm a huge fan of personally. Mm-hmm. But I think once you hear him talk and you hear the motivation behind this project and what these guys have done so far, mm-hmm. then you'll you'll get a, a a better picture of exactly why we think this is a this is an exciting project. Wow. So we'll play the interview and hope you enjoy it. G'day everyone, this is Matt here from the FOMO Show. I'm here with Kale Diderich, who is the CEO of the Blockgrain project. Uh, so Blockgrain is a uh, blockchain-based project aimed towards, first of all, the uh, the wheat industry throughout Australia and later on in the world, and then also uh, gearing up to become a blockchain solution for the wider agricultural industry. So thanks very much for joining me, Kale. Thanks very much for having me, Matt. It's uh, it's great to be up in Brisbane. It's uh, certainly a change from the Victorian weather. Yeah, I was down in Victoria last week myself and uh, it was a lot colder. So yeah, yeah. I, can, I can imagine it's nice to be here. Um, yeah. So talk to us a little bit first about your, your background, uh, mm. what, what you did before Blockgrain and what brought you to uh, consider building this project. Yeah, of course. So I used to work for one of the largest um, bulk handlers or grain handlers in, in Australia and 
you know, I had a great time there. I learnt a lot and I started to understand the industry. But at the same time, I started to see where the market was heading and where where the value was being extracted by intermediaries. Yep. And at the same time, I then looked at it and thought, well, you know, look at the trends. And I noticed that a lot of farmers were storing all their produce on farm and they, they weren't, I suppose, engaging the traditional supply chains as much. Yep. And at the same time, I then learnt, well, what are they using to manage all of that data around storing storing um, their grains, around marketing their grains, mm. around tracking their grains from, from the paddock to their storage, around their logistics? And basically, the best answer I got was some people have an Excel sheet. That, that was right. about it. And I thought... <laughs> and that was pretty high tech. That was high tech. And most <laughs> don't. I mean, I know a few, a few of my farmers do, but... Um, a lot of it was just in an envelope. A lot of it was on the back of a paper. Oh, there's that much in this silo. I mean, the management of quality really is was um, it just wasn't good enough. Right. And so, and that's not to, to blame a farmer. It's har- mm. it's harvest time and it's flat out, and you've got so much things that can go wrong. You're just trying to get the the grain off. Yep. So I thought, well, let's build a solution that allowed allows them to easily track their grain. That's a full logistics solution. Let's build something that can help them track it from a paddock into their silos. They know, then they can look at it and see what qualities in every silo, mm. specs, value. Um, they can manage all their outloads, all their logistics. Um, let's go around building that. And so we set out um, a couple of years ago doing that. And then all of a sudden along came this thing called blockchain. And we thought, oh, yeah, that's interesting. And... I said, yeah, it's interesting, but oh, geez, you know, it'd be good if this blockchain thing could, you know, really promote transparency and allow us to hook farmers up internationally and cut out all the paperwork. And I sort of ignored it a little bit. Yep. I thought, oh, it's, you know, well, learn it for Bitcoin, and just just didn't really give it the time it deserved a couple of years ago. Yeah. About three months down the track, I was talking to someone. I said, you know, do you, what is it? We really need to be able to allow a farmer to extract the maximum value and be able to you know, link up overseas in a safe environment. And he said, oh, you should look at block- blockchain. I said, oh, yeah, all right, we'll go retrace and go back through it. And that's where we got into blockchain. And we started to understand that unlike many businesses out there, we actually have the perfect use case for blockchain, which is traceability. It's it's contracting, it's payment, it's smart contracts. It's, it's um, you know, it's everything that, that blockchain was created for. So I thought it lines up, it it works. We, we're not certainly out there trying to pump ourselves just to, to make money out of this blockchain that everyone's throwing around. Mm. Let's do it. So mm. from there, we met um, Nugget and the guys from, from Nuggets News and it, it all just took off from there. Right, okay. So you were you were looking for something yeah. uh, to solve a problem and then it, it seems like the moment you started looking, something essentially fell in your lap. The timing was good. Yeah, it was uh, the timing was really good. So th- there's that inefficiency then from the the farmer's side, and and that really helps. The, the blockchain solution seems like it will help from that side. But I was yeah. reading through your material, and I also saw that there was a lot of uh, inefficiencies on the other side as well. And there were so I, once these. Uh, goods leave the farm yes once they go out into the ecosystem there's apart from just the traceability factor for the farmer themselves a lot of other steps in the process there's a lot of wastage and a lot of inefficiencies could you talk a bit about that yeah so um i mean they they say 30 percent of the cost roughly in australian produce is taken up in supply chain and logistics Mm. and 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 it's just it's a very cumbersome beast so in terms of the wastage i mean you can look through um grains isn't as bad because it's a it's it's hard it stores and it's 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 more robust Mm. but if you take it into the fruit and vegetable which we're doing beaters at the minute it's just astronomical i mean and it's not it's not so much everyone would love to blame the supermarkets I, i certainly don't blame them so much for the wastage side i know that 
um, around the pricing and competitiveness. That's a different issue. But in terms of the wastage, there's legislation out there that basically says, well, um, you know, if this fruit is X amount of days old, it has to go in the bin. Now, it could mm. be the greatest piece of fruit you've ever seen. Mm. But the wastage around that is astronomical. And and, uh, and if you look forward through in the, in the developing economy, if you go into a place like India where we've got a couple of pilots running and you look at the wastage, that's probably, it's probably a great example for your cereal. I mean... Mm. A lot of the grain that that is that is grown just doesn't make a market. Just ends up rotting because they don't, they don't have anything for it. There's no mm. way to distribute it. They can't compete on a global scale. Yeah. And and when you you know to further answer your question, if you go into a developing economy like Africa, there's more food grown than they know what to do with. Right. But yet we still have these mass starvation problems because the logistics breaks down and they can't get it to market and they can't extract the maximum value. It's just they don't have technology. It's it's mm. it's going back to you know trying to trying to sell a lot of produce in a small environment and you mm. can't do it unless you have logistics and, and unless you have technology that links these people into a world level mm. they're always going to be these wastage issues so that's probably that's where we come into things yeah okay so so there was not only a need then from the the farmer's side as well but there was also a need from the transparency uh logistics and essentially having something where you could look at the whole picture and have a system yeah. that could start to manage this, this all these disparate areas, exactly, and, and pull it all together. Well, and, and probably what happens was is unbeknownst to a farmer by by using our system, all of a sudden what happens is you know we've solved a core need for them, which is managing their grain and their contracts and their logistics and all of that sort of stuff and the yeah. paperwork around it and the bookings. It's an absolute nightmare to book to book one truck of grain in from. Um, from paddock or from a bulk handler into a, an end user, if it's a port, is about 14 steps, just one load. Right. So I've got a, I've got a, a broker that does 100 loads, does 5,000 loads a year yep. and spends 98% of his time, 10 hours a day, booking these trucks in. That's now, 14 gonna, by 5,000, isn't it? It's massive. <laughs> we, we're going to cut that down. We're going to yeah. make that. We'll, we'll cut that in half easily with this technology. Yeah. But what happens is, getting back to what I was saying, is when all these people are using this infrastructure, you have a base. Yeah. And then you say, okay, well, let's just take it one step further. We've already got the logistics, so we're tracking it to the end user. Why not, once we get it to the manufacturer or the brewery or the or the malt house or the, or the flour mill, let's track it one step further and take mm. it to the consumer. So... By solving a core need at the baseline, we have created 90% of a supply chain solution. All yeah. we need to do is check on the other 10%, and unbeknownst to the farmer, he's just created full provenance over his product, which allows him then to create a brand going forward and say, mm. well, this is my grain, mm. well, this is my fruit, or this is my wool, this is the chemicals that have been on it, this is where it's been stored, and they can see through the supply chain because blockchain goes both ways. It doesn't just say um, to the to the big companies who buy the wheat, oh, now we get to see what happens. Mm. The farmer who sells that grain, he gets the data on where his grain went, what products it went into. So theoretically, he could walk into a supermarket, scan an item and say, well, this has come from, oh, it's come from my farm. Well, mm. there you go. Okay. So what it, 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 it goes both ways and, and where that becomes exceptionally important is we're doing a trial now with the largest brewery in West Virginia and I didn't realise this but they they produce an exceptional amount of beer as you can imagine mm. they love their beer mm. what happens is that goes to a retailer They get, as soon as it goes to a retailer they lose visibility of it they don't know how long it sits in, in, in the heat for they don't know how mm. long whether it's been cooled and then reheated right. they don't know where who's selling it they don't know who's buying it they get no feedback on their mm. data nor do they get feedback on, on the quality of their beer when it delivers through that supply chain I was that blew me away wow. so what our system does it allows the, them as a brewer to protect their product and say well yeah. 
this has been kept at the right temperature throughout the supply chain and it has been delivered as it should be so that you're mm. not damaging our brand. Mm. So not only does it add to the brand value of the middlemen who are in the breweries and who are in the flour mills, it adds to the value of the farmer because all of a mm. sudden they get to understand exactly what he's growing. And, and I speak to, to millers every day who are happy to pay more and some are paying more right now mm. if they get absolute traceability over you know single origin. That's where the, the grain was grown. That, that's what was on it. There's free of contaminants and they deliver and they and the farmer acts accordingly to make sure that they hold up their end of the agreement. Right. So it's, it's giving visibility to every single step yeah, in that process, allowing people to pr- protect their brand. Yep. Yep. Okay. So let's let's pivot a little bit. Then let's look at a practical example. So let's yeah. take a let's take yep. a farmer. Let's just say it is a it is a grain farmer at the moment because that's probably the area that it's this is most fleshed call, out. Call in. him Joe. Uh, we'll call Joe. him Joe. So uh, Joe is getting getting ready to harvest his his crop. Yeah. So yep. he's 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 put this in the field. He's grown it all year. Yep. He's getting ready to harvest it, and he's looking to integrate this new block grain technology. So yeah. someone a reps come along and sold him on it, or the AWB said. You know, this is what we recommend you use. Yeah. It's his first season. How does it look then for him? And then uh, going forward with those, the grain yeah, once excellent, it's harvested. Excellent. Okay. So basically for him, let's say, for instance, let's say Joe has a broker. Yeah. Let's say, and, and a lot of farmers out there use a broker to, for price discovery, to manage all their logistics, their paperwork, all the stuff that everyone hates doing. They get mm. a broker to do it. Mm. So theoretically for Joe, in this instance, the broker would set him up, the broker would set up his fields. All Joe would do is say to his employees, download this app and every time you leave the paddock, press this button. Mm -hmm. And every time you go to my storage or to a bulk handler, press that button. That's it. Okay. That's as simple as it is. The, yep. the app has been built so simple. It's built for truck drivers. It's built for farmers who are busy, who are always at harvest time. It's frantic, you know. Mm. We built this system to think for the farmer. So mm. if you go into a bulk handler and you leave it and you haven't unloaded, it'll say, hey, you know. Yeah. What are you doing? You've unloaded. Get a photo of your receipts. So basically, we just take a photo of all the receipts from bulk handlers. We scrape all that data and we put it into a back-end database. So Mm. not only does it create your own database of all your storages for a system perspective, like Grain Corps, you can use that to cross-reference what Grain Corps say you've got versus what you have. And we've actually found some people who... Not only did they not get an inload, but they actually got charged as an outload. So it was a double-sided hit, and they actually it was about a ten thousand dollars turnaround wow. just by just from one. Just load, an administrative error. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so basically, going back to your question is, the broker would set them up, or they might set them up. They yep. enter their ABN, pull down the data, they add their trucks, yeah, they add their storages, and away they go. And yep. basically, that every farmer comes in, or if you if you're hiring a logistics company in, they just download the app. And they, they link, they say, well, I'm working with you today, mm. I'm working with Farmer Joe, and every load that they do back and forward, back and forward, gets logged through Farmer Joe's account, and mm. there's an administrative back end where the office person or the broker just sits there and says, yep, that's correct, tick, tick, tick. Yep. So instantaneously, you know every load that's left the paddock, you know every contract, so you can go straight from paddock to an end user, it might be a mm. feed mill, it might be to a port when there's mm. a short on, mm. you just put it against the contract, so it'll update your contracts, as soon as that truck arrives to port, it'll say... Your truck's arrived. Yep. As soon as they get there, they take a photo of the docket. We rip, rip all the data off it and you're updated. Mm. So instantaneously, you as a farmer know you know your position, mm. you know how much forward you sold, you know your stocks, you know your quality. It'll tell you when to gas. It'll mm. tell you pretty much anything you need to know about your grain. It'll teach right. you how to blend. Yeah. So our system actually says, well, if you're looking for you know 12.5% protein and you want to go out of these two silos, you should take X percent out of this silo and X percent out of that silo. And right. it'll give you, you know, 12.5, 12.6, depending on how accurate the data going mm. in. So it teaches you how to blend to get the maximum value out of your out of your grain. Right. Um, 
but that is as simple as it is. It is basically just a simple app. Load my truck, unload my truck. Mm. We have we have done all the and it, now it sounds like anyone could build it. It took us so long to work out all the different all the different um, abnormalities and all yeah. the different possibilities. Where are you loading from? Is it a silo? Is it against a contract? Is it mm. an order? Who's it for? Who are you mm. linked with? It took there's a spreadsheet, I think. There's just from that load and unload for your viewers out there. I think we went through every possible. There's about 168 possibilities, variations yeah. around where you're loading versus where you can deliver and mm. what, what that must do to the app. So mm. when we go and just show people our app, they're like, "Oh, it doesn't flow." When we show them the screens, I said, "Well, that's because it can't because the app actually thinks it knows where you are, it knows what you're doing. So yeah. it can't just go from we can't just show you this screen goes to this screen goes to this screen because yeah. depending on your situation." The, the the role is 168 variables that mm. it will show you. So mm. we've basically, the bottom line is we've built this thing so it's so simple to use that there is no excuse. When yeah. someone says, truck driver or farmhand says, oh, I don't use a phone, it's like, well, mate, all you're doing is pressing a button to load it mm. and taking a photo of a docket or just doing a simple inload into your home storage. Mm. That's it. Okay. And when they're pressing that button, I mean, to, to them, yeah, you say it's very simple, but from from reading it and from what you're saying now, it sounds like by them pressing a button, oh. there's there's a lot of there's a, a lot of normal code that's executing, yeah. a lot of smart contract yeah. code that's executing as well. Yeah, there's chaos um, behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. So who, who sets that up then? So is that the broker that sets a, a lot of those relationships? Because obviously there'll have to be relationships between the farmer and the transport officer and the broker and the port are they all taken care of like are there templates that people can can activate on block grain or so in when they're setting someone up you correct mean? yeah so a broker just goes in so everyone's uniquely identified and and we use the abn so a, far, a broker might go in or a farmer could do it himself mm. he just goes in says i'm a farmer i'm setting myself up yep abn puts in the details um just enters his farm enters his silos everything's gps map so just Drops a silo here, 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 yep. and basically from that he can start doing whatever he wants. Wow. Uh, he or she, and if they have a broker, the broker can say, oh, "I'd like to." They send an invite to to link with Joe, and Joe says, "Yep, no worries." And then the mm -hmm. data that is shared, mm -hmm. and then the broker can take over and start adding more silos. And what that what what a broker can do is say, "Oh, Joe, I've, I've got a I've got a truck coming next week. Um, he's going to pick up you know, APW out of silo four, and the broker just sends that straight. He just types it in." couple of buttons bang that gets sent straight to the logistics company who get it on their system you say yep no worries i'm going to send truck you know rego aa8911 out yeah all of a sudden everybody knows the farmer knows that there's a truck coming in two weeks time this is the rego this is what he's picking up the truck driver knows because he's got it on his phone and everybody's integrated as mm. simple as that and so and if you take it one step further at harvest time when you've got different trucks coming and going you, you don't even need they don't even need to be pre-linked. They just roll up on your farm, scan, bang, we're linked, mm. and they start working for you. Simple yep. as that. Okay. All right. I read there were a couple of – so to make all this happen behind the scenes, there's also some some tokenization going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's a, a split between – so you've got a like your public layer, yeah. which is like a public blockchain layer, yep. Yep. and then you've got the private layer, which is your own blockchain, which it sounds like is a lot of where, where a lot of the proprietary tech has, has gone into simply because – the uh, the public layer couldn't couldn't uh, couldn't service the the amount of bandwidth that you needed. Yes, is that correct? And and could you partially, talk a bit more partially, about that? Partially, partially. So we we looked, um, you know, what's one of the most stable currencies out there, or the stable you know, stable um, coin, I suppose, mm. or you know, 
uh, I suppose, environment in which to to run a token sale and to be able to drive the, the high-level transactions. And so we went with Ethereum at, mm. at that point. Mm. Um, and what it does, the Ethereum's where all the high-level, you know, the Agri is what our, our token is, where, yep. where the transactions occur. So money comes in, yep. Agri goes out, Agri backs the commodity contracts mm. for international transactions. Mm. Every time someone loads their truck, it... it costs agri yeah. every time they store grain it's agri every time they do a contract it's agri so and it's just small amounts across the whole supply chain yeah. add up to quite a lot yeah but in the private layer we you know and we still haven't we're, we're still working out what is the best solution for our our case and so the people mm. that have put um their money into our business they, they do have done so knowing that we're not going to rush out and say, let's choose this blockchain to mm. run our system because, to be perfectly honest, there's so many new ones coming out every week. Um, yeah. There's a new chain and, and we we want to converge at the right time when we know, okay, here's a product that is quick, mm. it is scalable, mm. it is fast, it works for logistics, it, it works for everything that we need to do it and it's cost effective mm. for our, our customers being farmers, which means they don't have any issue you know, they don't need to learn no what barriers. a blockchain is. They don't need to learn, mm. and therefore the people who have who have invested in us benefit by you know, mass adoption across the farming industry. Yeah. So we haven't decided which way we're going to go at this point, and mm. we can run our system largely at the minute without that bottom layer. But the right. time is coming in where we do need to to work out what we're going to do. Mm. We have built our technology in such a way that we can plug and play to a degree. So yeah. we know, okay. for instance, like. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. Our guys are very good. They've been, they're, they're every day, um, once a week, they're bringing forward basically a new option, a new a new way of thinking. Like there's there's now hollow chains. There's now all sorts of wonderful gizmos coming out. Yeah. In theory. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's about understanding which one of those. When when all this proliferation occurs and we're all expanding and we're all going left, right, center, up, down, everywhere. Mm. Eventually, like everything else, will come back to one central point, and mm. it will be one or two key, um, you know, key chains that people are using. Mm. Do I think Ethereum is one of them? Probably not unless they can solve some of the issues they have. Yep. But at the minute, it is the best. So we use that as our stable top layer. Mm-hmm. But there will be a time where there is something perfect. Now, we look at EOS, we look at VChain, we look mm. at, um, I think there is actually Holochain, we look at that, we look at um, Hyperledger. Yep. All of these other ones, um, and they're all wonderful technologies, but are they exactly the best fit for us at this point is what mm. we're still working for. Yeah, there's a little bit horses for courses with a lot of these platforms. And there's a lot of um, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors with a lot <laughs> yeah, of platforms as we've found. Is. So, yeah. um, you know, some people have, have raised a lot of money and a lot of talking about their chain and they still haven't built a chain. We still don't have technology yet. And there's a couple of um, well-known chains out there that... Um, yeah, yeah, might be more smoke than anything else. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I, I saw you had um, you had essentially block grain version one point zero and block yeah. grain version two point zero. Could you talk a little bit about the distinction between those two? Yeah, absolutely. So we, one of the biggest fundamentals is people go out and say, oh, you know. Six months ago, you could have put blockchain on anything and raised whatever you wanted yeah. to, and a lot of people did, yeah. and a lot of people have already failed. Mm. We haven't done that. We've been in business, you know, it's about two thousand. 14, 15, about three years, a bit more now, yeah. um, you know, understanding what our customer wants, finding a need, mm. um, you know, working through iterations. So so the first iteration was 
just simply understanding how the storage system works and how a farmer engages with his storage. How mm. do they, when they come racing in, what do they press? What do they want to do to log in? Do they want to put in all the specs and all the details? Do they want to put in basic stuff? Yeah. What's the flow through their through their delivery process? Mm. That's basically what it was. And we did contracting in that on top of it, but it yep. was a web-based version. Yeah. Very simple. Um, in its own right, it was probably better than anything out there in the market space, to be perfectly honest, because no one else was doing it and no one else is doing it. Yeah. But... It was a web-based version and it was pretty simple. But from that, we allowed us to get enough attention from brokers and farmers to say, oh, these guys are onto something. And mm. so we then signed on the largest group of um, uh, private uh, independent grain brokers in Australia, Rise Agri, and they're, mm. they're really cool guys. They're yeah. out there trying to help their farmers and, mm. and push the industry in the right direction. Mm. And so f- with them and with their growers and with their logistics companies, we've now been developing the second version, which is which is a lot more streamlined. Um, it's native apps. It doesn't require any um, service. It's mm. just, it's a really cool thing. And so I suppose the message there is, you know, we've done the hard yards and we, we, we thought we knew what customers wanted and we've been out there for two years trialing and that and now we know what customers want. We're willing to invest and it's not cheap, but we'll invest a lot of money to make sure that the product is exactly as it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably where we differ a little bit from other companies that go, well, here's an idea, we'll raise money, let's go at it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, as I say in a presentation, you'll probably see it later, Google didn't make the internet. They just they just saw it and they made it better. Mm. Um, power Ledger didn't make power. They didn't make. Um, they haven't gone out and uh, reinvented the whole system. They've just added a few minor changes mm. to mm. make a big difference in the industry. And I, yeah. I think just on, on Power Ledger is probably in my mind they're the, you know they're the they're the pinnacle. The gold of, standard. They are. They yeah. are the gold, and not just in Australia. I mm. think across across most. Um, you know, token sales across most crypto businesses, they are the gold standard. Mm. And mm. and they, you know, it's something like they've paved the way for us to be able to do what we've done. Mm. Um, they've yeah. opened so many doors, but it's, oh, Australia, Power Ledger, or Australia, or oh, Horizon State. Yeah. So between those two businesses, and, mm. and, you know, I probably should mention Horizon State, and again, they're not changing. There's databases out there. All they're doing is making an industry or... A, a very rather important part of our world mm. they're making it easier and they're making it better and immutable and more fairer yeah. and more transparent so those two businesses have really I suppose put Australia in the spotlight and so we've probably you know I've probably cheated a bit and jumped on the back of them a bit and uh, and, and uh, been able to expand and uh, I'll have to thank them for it and buy them a beer at one stage but standing on the shoulders of giants exactly yeah. exactly yeah. But, yeah, but that's okay you know yeah. um, my point is it's not people go out and say oh I'm going to invent um, I'm going to create a new sort of spaceship and I'm going to fly to the moon and at the same time I'm going to grow organic beef on the moon and then I'm going to they come up with all these wonderful things and they put it out there and the world goes oh my god this is wonderful Yeah. try and execute on it mm. try and actually take that from something that's in your head and put it onto paper mm. because as simple as what we're talking about in our our, our environment is mm. as simple as it sounds it's been um you know, it's 16-hour days every single day, a team mm. of 25 people working on this around the clock to make sure it is what it is. Now, mm. that's just a very, within reason, a simplistic idea that we have around making farmers' lives a lot easier and creating value. Mm. Try and do all the things that these people are talking about. You can give them as much money as you want, mm. but the, it's it's not going to happen. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I suppose, that, again, the message is find an industry... Don't try and fight it the whole way. Mm. Just give people options and say, well, yes, you can still use a traditional method of selling grain or storing grain, which we mm. support. Mm. But if you want to do something else, we have this option here, which mm. is a, might be may or may not be a little bit of more efficient depending on your scenario. But ultimately, mm. you know, 
we have a business that's out there. Mm. And, it's, yeah. and look, I, th- I think that's one of the things that, and look, from, from already talking to you from the, the meetups you've been to, it sounds like the community has been very engaged mm. and there's especially the farming community and, and that's generally a good sign being from a farming back, back, yeah. background myself. Um, that the moment I saw this, that this is one of the reasons why I wanted to get you guys on the show so much because we, uh, the farm farmers do feel like they've been left out in the dark a lot with this yeah, stuff, and it's yeah. it's a lot of it is from simply being too busy to to be able to put the time into to to make any technology that makes things better for them. Um, there have been uh, oligarchies and monopolies that have been oh, built yeah. up around this stuff, and for uh, years, for years and years and years, and it's it sounds like at least from what I'm hearing and from reading your material that this may be the first step in dismantling some of those those oligarchies and making it a little uh, giving farmers a bit more access to the market yeah and a bit more bargaining power yeah. in the market which just especially when you have a perishable good it, well, it becomes particularly very in a perishable hard. good if you look at my mates they're all in fruit and vegetables and i will mm. comment on that um, i tend to do that i always go off on a tangent and try and no, get back but they um I mean, they're, they're under the pump. They yep. can't hold it. They can't store it. It goes to market. You've and, got a few days and, and that's, that's it. it. And, yep. and it's, um, you know, like they try and put stuff into Hong Kong, which then goes into China. Um, I know guys that are losing containers every year. For every, you know, 10 they send in mm. big money, mm. one might go missing, 100 mm. grand down the drain because yep. there's no, no accountability. There's yep. no blockchain. There's no system. It's just old school. Mm. If you come back to the grain farmer scenario, um, if you look at the, the what's happened over time is obviously we deregulated. And mm. I remember sitting at work and we used to do our competitors' reports and there'd be 20 different competitors of all different prices that I'd have to check and go through yep. all these templates. Go, go and do that now. There's about three. Mm. That's what's left. Mm. Now, that's not to say that, that they don't provide value because I think that the traditional buyers at times provide excellent value. I think mm. there's times where because of the positions that they make in logistics and shipping and ocean freight that they're actually paying more for Australian grain than what it's worth. I, yeah. I don't, I'm not here to, to, bad, to bad mouth the traditional guys because there are times where they provide value. But mm. I think the days of blending your grain and putting it together with everyone else and trying to you know just – trying to create efficiencies that aren't working and I don't and I think that look the consumer wants to know what they're eating and yeah. the consumer wants to know who they're dealing with we speak with mills as I said that want to know look there's so much intricacies into milling like what colour does it come out if it colours off then the, their customers won't buy it what mm. chemicals have been in it like there was mm. there's a ship that went to Japan it ended up I think and you'll see tonight in, in 300,000 cups of cereal or something else it was all barley yeah they had to recall all of that sort of stuff. There's no traceability over. It was just a big bulk ship that went in there and it was contaminated. Now, that's Jeez. not good for Australia and it's not mm. good for anybody. But mm. coming back to the question, I believe a farmer should be able to stand in a field anywhere, Darling Downs, doesn't matter, Toowoomba. Mm. He should be able to look at his phone and work out, am I selling to the local guy today at you know 250X farm yep. or am I selling at 251 and it's going international? But I don't need to know how. Mm. I don't need to worry about blockchain. I don't need to know... Um, anything other than I'm going to get paid mm. and I'm getting the best price that I can. Mm. And when you do that, it should be no different to buying a John Deere tractor where you they fly you over to Illinois and they take you through the factory and you feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Not that I've ever bought a John Deere. I've uh, you know, we've never really had the money to do it. But um, it should be no different. You should be able to build your relationship with your flour mill internationally mm. because there are times in the world, like Australia's only a small player in the grain market, mm. but there are times where you know what we have is very rare for that point in time in location so yep. there are times where if you're trying to get certain barley varieties and to, to be a malt house you have to come to australia and so mm. we should be able to connect 
um, those farmers, when it economically makes sense, and it doesn't mm. always make economic sense, yeah. but when it does, farmers should be able to build their own relationships so that they know, oh, next year, yep, okay, I've got to put 500 tonne aside for whatever mill it might be. That's where that's going. They always come in and buy this, and I've already mm. got that relationship with them. And just expanding. The world is so small now, and if you if you can't build your own supply chains and you can't keep your grain in your supply chain, then potentially you're going to miss out on that value in the long run. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap up soon. There, there was one part that uh, that wanted that really stuck out to me in the white paper that I just wanted to explore a little bit yeah, with you because it, it connects with that. I saw a mention of farming cooperatives yes. and, and this this concept of using the blockchain and smart contracts uh, eventually as this blockchain platform matures to begin building cooperatives between farmers and yes. to begin building uh, an ecosystem where there may be some more bargaining power uh, tangibly, and farmers could make decisions connected yeah. with each other. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah. Because I thought that really stuck out to yeah. me as a, yeah, an interesting part of the platform. There's two parts to that. One is um, if you if you look in, I'll start with the in the developing economies. There's a lot of smaller farmers trying to to you know to come together or and trying to bring. They might only have a couple of ton each, or they might have a couple of bags of wheat. Mm. So for them, what we're trying to do is say, well, let's put it in a blockchain so it's transparent. Mm. Everyone knows there's no corruption because mm. a lot of those environments are pretty corrupt. Yeah. And what that does is it allows them to bring all their grain together, store it, do what they need to do, and and try and get it onto an international market. So mm. that's a, that's a smaller cooperative. Yeah. But in terms of the Australian market. We we believe that if you have farmers in a certain area that reach a certain standard and they and they want to compete in their own cooperative, just because of just because it's not held in the one spot, just because mm. it's not you know it's not sitting in the one physical location, you might have five farmers within a within a five kilometre radius that mm. have some of the best grain in the world. Yeah, why not link up and say okay, let's you've got three hundred ton. I've got 2,000. Let's put mm. it all together and let's see who wants this. Mm. Let's work together because we all know we can deliver. We all know we all know what our quality is like, mm. and we can we can you can put things in place to to even you could theoretically even bring in Horizon State to put in a voting system when you wanted to sell or what you you know. Yeah. There's ways of doing things to ensure that farmers who are working on farm with their own grain can get the maximum value without losing traceability. And mm. that, that is one of the key points. And you, you're glad you picked up on it. And you can see you've read the white paper. A lot of people actually don't. But if you can bring people to, ta- to the table, and you've got to understand these farmers are getting bigger and they're, not getting, mm. they're never going to get smaller. Yep. There will come a time in my area now, uh, back home in Swan Hill, there will be a time where once there was 15 farmers, it might be two. Yeah, we've seen the same thing in our area. There are guys now doing, um, I won't mention his name, but he's a a good guy up there at Goodnight, um, and he's he's probably doing 80,000 acres now. Mm. And the guy across the river, a couple of brothers are doing the similar. Like, there will be a time where, you know, intermediaries aren't needed because these guys are so big that they are nearly their own intermediary. They can have their own system, their own silos. Now, if you can pull some of those people together in their own right to to form a a virtual cooperative and say, Mm. well... I've got a thousand ton. You've got ten thousand. You've got fifteen. You've got three hundred. What it doesn't matter. Mm. Let's all contribute for the greater good of saying, well, here's our and put it out there for people and say, yeah. here's what we've got. Yeah, give us your delivered price or mm. give us your international price. We'll deliver it to the port. Block grain system will take care of the rest, mm. and and we can automatically distribute payment mm. evenly to every party instantaneously because it's all smart contracts it's all smart contracts we know who's delivered what tons so if you know 100 ton come off farm b or farm a and it's going overseas we know when to pay that it's Mm. all yeah it's basically a virtual world of cooperatives and and, and to take it one step further 
we believe that at some point, um, and it's actually coming now. There's company now that want to, there's companies that want to finance grain on farms and buy direct. So what you're saying mm. is sort of starting to happen, but they mm. don't have software to do that, mm. and that's where we come into mm. it. And so, theoretically, as a single farmer, you are basically become your own cooperative because you manage your own storages and you get your own prices for your own farm. Yeah. But when you pull that together amongst five or six medium-sized farmers. You you start to bring a fair bit of bargaining power to the table. Now, if you can if you can pull five six farmers together, all of a sudden you can command you know five three four ten dollars more depending on what you've got. Mm. Ten dollars over a couple of thousand ton, um, it's pretty good money. Mm, that's right. What changes are you anticipating in the industry then? Because I like obviously we've we've talked about a couple of the most mm. um, I guess the lowest hanging fruit of yep. changes, but then instantly when I saw this being from a fruit and veg veggie background myself when i saw oh, this fruit and veg, yeah, yeah 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 i saw um i saw that there is a so for example in our industry there's a a big monopoly built up around the refrigeration and then the sale from that refrigeration so uh, here in brisbane for example there's the brisbane markets and that's yeah. kind of your central place where yeah. everyone takes their produce and yeah they have the fridges and then the agents are the the essentially the intermediaries oh, yeah. between yeah. that and yeah, but, uh, yeah. when you want to you want to talk about openness and traceability oh, yeah. there is none of of that no, you know? no, and, no, no. Uh, I think those guys are in for a world of hurt. Those middlemen. Um, we, I, I, so I used to work in the Melbourne markets. Yep. Uh, a couple of my friends. So I grew up in. I was in Swan Hill, where it's largely fruit and it's largely grain. Yeah. And the Melbourne market. You look largely. The supermarkets have gutted the Melbourne markets mm. now. The new Melbourne market. I'm told just it doesn't have the same vibe because it's it's a bit further out. Yeah. The green grocers are pretty much gone. They don't come in and provide mm. that competitive. A lot of so, people are contracting now yeah. with straight with the. So the Melbourne market. I. I you know, and I, I, I'm not qualified enough to say, but I suggest largely is, you know, is, is starting, is nearly becoming obsolete in its own right. Mm. So what this does is, um, you know, if we can provide a solution where a fruit farmer can say, you know what, I can sell to, to you know, Woolies or to Coles or to the local whoever, that's mm. fine. I can have a secure solution where actually if I just put it on air freight or I do this, I can sell it straight overseas instantaneously. Yep. Straight into China, straight here, straight there, straight wherever. As yep. long as there's no you know government interference with trade policy and everything else. But yep. for me, again, it comes back to options. We're not saying that a fruit farmer has to sell overseas or has to use our system. Mm. But ultimately, if we can provide traceability and we can provide a safe environment for them to use our system, then it provides options. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you know... There are times where, and it, and it's it's just more buyers. Yep. The more buyers that you can bring yep. to a mobile phone of a farmer, yep. the better because he has options. Yeah, and you. and look, that may sound like for us because we're so used to trading cryptocurrencies and whatever else. Mm. All of us have been in this market for a while, and we can see those prices on our phone. We kind of take that for granted. Yep. But uh, for a farmer, you don't hear about the price. Overseas of something you don't no even you don't really, know you don't, you don't even know what the price is going you to don't be even in, the know in the Melbourne market by the, <laughs> by the time the agent takes his twenty percent that's, that's right. not actually twenty percent because it's yeah. it's gated and that information yeah. isn't available and I think that's something that can't be overemphasized is the fact that so much of the the uh, issue with the agricultural in- industry in general at the moment is visibility it's especially huge. price visibility it's because huge. if you can make decisions based on prices where you can look at all the prices from different markets anywhere in the world yep um and you can access those markets you can access those markets you're so much more informed you're informed it's like um i'll give you i'll finish on this one it's like the um so there's a there's a simple app out now that the guys bought out um and one day we envision coffee being another coffee beans being traceable another thing for us yeah um, some guys bought a pricing app out and they gave these these smartphones to the farmers and and the you know, poor farmers, obviously, in the coffee regions, and and um, 
Costa Rica, I think. Mm. And they looked at this and they're working out, they did the maths and it didn't take them long to work out how much was getting made in the middle between what they were selling it for and there was, there was nearly a riot. Like yep. basically, yep. you know, information is everything. Yeah. And if we can provide, we're not saying we're going to take a farmer's data and put it out there for everyone to see. That's not what we're about. Yeah. What we're saying is the more data that we can provide a farmer to make his decisions and the better that he can store his or her grain and the better that they, like we had a guy who, um, there was a contract out there, I think it was about middle of last year, the market slumped. But just before it slumped, he was offered, I think it was about, it was like a 2,000 tonne parcel, quite a large farm, mm. quite a large parcel mm. for a good price. He was like, oh, geez, I don't know if I can take it. I don't know position. I don't know how many contracts. Oh, no, just don't worry about it, mate. Yeah. week later, the price hit the floor. It cost him 30000 Oh, jeez. Uh, sorry, 25, 20000 yeah. But if he had a known because of our software, yep. if he was using it, mind, needless to say, he does now. But yeah. bang. Oh, yep, no worries. I can do that. Got, yeah. Bang, done. Yeah. Yep, and you can start building models on all that information exactly. too, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so we're almost out of time. So yep. I just wanted to to run past the token sale really quick. You guys are running a token yeah, sale at yep. the moment. Yeah, so we went out um, – I nearly forgot about that actually. I'm, I've got to go and do – I'm heading down to the McEwen now. The, the Nuggets boys, um, we've been out on road show with them. It's been exceptional. Um, we're running a to- – we, we were a bit differently. So well, this is what happens in the token sale world and it's, it's, it's an unfortunate thing but – we all think, we sit there and think, oh, you know, we're going to get on a pre-sale here and they send us out the pre-sale and we sign up. Mostly these, these token sales are sold out even before mm. they get to a pre-sale. It's mm. all big institutional money. Mm. Um, they take a 90% discount or an 80% discount. Then they put it out there to the pre-sale and mm. they use the pre-sale guys to leverage their position so that they're yeah. already they're already in front. Then they go out to the public sale and so really, you know, we might think we make a couple of bucks from the pre-sale but the big guys, you know, any they're, they're making the big bucks and mm. people are saying, oh, we sold out in 30 seconds or a minute. It's just because they've already, they've already sold out. That's yep. why. Yeah. So so we're a bit different because we believe that everyone deserves a fair and honest go at this. And so mm. we, we went out there to about a 1,000 individuals. We raised around $3.5 million. We don't have any bonuses. We don't have any big institutional investors. So if you look at most, most ICOs now, or most token sales as they're called, when they hit the market, a lot of them are just going to plummet mm. because they're that heavily undersold and that, yeah. that many discounted. It's just – it's insane. Yeah. And so what that means is when you do that, then you're relying on the overall growth in Bitcoin to bring the value of your coin up. That's yeah. all you're relying on because yeah. you haven't got any substance to, as a business and you've given that many discounts away that, you know, people are already people can sell a hell of a lot cheaper than the public because they've got 90% discounts mm. and they're still making money. Mm. So we avoided all that. We went out. It's uh, Nugget calls it the fairest ICO in the world. We've gone mm. out. There's no discounts, no bonuses. Uh, we sell every aggregate seven point five cents. Same in the in the pre-sale. Same in the in the um, in the public sale, which mm. we're done. We've got another three or four weeks to run. We raised, let's say, three point five million in the pre. I think we've raised maybe another couple or another couple of million now, ticking yep. along. Yeah. Um, the sales going great. Look, it's it's obviously tough times at the minute, given the given the market fluctuation. But mm. all in all, we're happy. Um, mm. We're really ramping up our marketing, and um, we've got some pilots now with the largest guys in West Virginia and Brewery. We're doing, we've been talks, um, I just had a talk with um, a company just sent, I can't mention any names, but chances are if you've had a chocolate bar in the last day, you will have touched their, their produce. That's how big they are. Mm. Um, so, yeah, people are starting to take notice. And, uh, yeah, we've got a great team that has, I was just, I was the guy that was in here just then was the former head of AWB, Landmark. Yeah. He was the guy that put Landmark, the largest deal in Australia in Australian history at the time together. Mm. Um, really nice right. guy. Okay. So he's on our team. We've got um, Baden Urin from Bond University. Mm. He's a, professor of entrepreneurship that's what he does for a yep. living is yep. get people like us to to, to get it right mm. um you know ian dalgleish is in agriculture for years and anyone in agriculture knows ian um former head of toll holding um, pacific national he's on our team so mm. we're an industry-based business 
that has excellent crypto people involved. So mm. Nuggets and Advisor and Anuk Benchetti and a couple of other guys are really good. Um, so yeah, like we are not a crypto team who's trying to make a business and that's yep. the difference. Yep. And that's why hopefully and you know, God willing we'll succeed where others fail because mm. they're not a business. Mm. So for anyone that's interested in the project, the best way to support you is to participate in that token sale then? Participate in the token yep. sale. Ask questions. Jump on our Telegram. We're out there. Um, be aware of scam as always. Mm. Um, jump on jump on our Blockgrain Telegram or go to blockgrain.io. We've got a bounty campaign running where you can pick up some, some agri at the minute. Um, we've got another good promotion coming out and very shortly around Facebook, which mm-hmm. uh, should be very interesting. Um, so keep your eye out. If nothing else, jump on our Telegram. Yep. Ask questions. Yep. Brilliant. Okay, cool. thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having us on. It was wonderful. And all the very best of the project. Thank you again. Cheers. Don't ask how it happened, but we've tapped into an audio feed from an alternate dimension where we still run the podcast, but there are some slight differences. Um, while we're still pretty confused ourselves, um, we thought we'd share it with you all because, um, well, you'll see. And now. It's time for Nat and Mo, the Crypto Spiritus, coming to you live from rainy Lisbon. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, this week we return to the BitMax versus BitMax pennies debate. It's been raging on social media for weeks now, and both sides seem to be claiming victory. What are your thoughts, Nat? Well, I've got one thought, Mo, and that's a question. Why would I go off-chain where I can do things on-chain just as well, and with added security, with BitMax pennies? Well, the Thunder Network on BitMax still requires you to come back to the chain to settle. But Mo, it's convoluted and unnecessary. And on top of all that, it's a Rothschild scam. We all know this. Rothschild, central bakers, they're all up to their neck in it. This is how they take over the blockchain. Well, uh, let's stay grounded here. Um, There's no evidence of takeover. Uh, Well, Blockstream? Censorship on Reddit? People saying Craig Wright isn't Natoshi Sakamoto, Mo? I mean, I could go on. What more do you want? Look, let's just uh, focus on the technology here. Um, before you embarrass yourself, um, and, and BitMax is working. Thunder is working. Mo, the question I have for you is, is it truly keeping with Natoshi's true vision? Well, no one really knows what Natoshi's true vision is, Nat. <coughs> I now read from the sacred white paper of Natoshi Sakamoto... Page 2, verse 1. Ooh. We define an electronic coin as a chain of digital signatures. Each owner transfers the coin to the next by digitally signing a hash of the previous transaction and the public key of the next owner and adding these to the end of the coin. A payee can verify the signatures to verify the chain of ownership. Thus makes Natoshi bless his soul. Yes, yes, but that doesn't mean he would have continued ah, on... The holy Bitcoin P2P eCash paper, Mo, line 16, comment 3, would beg to differ. It says, I've been working on a new electronic cash system that's fully peer-to-peer and with no trusted third party, thus baked Nasashi, bless his soul. Uh, yes, but... Um, Mo, the blessed Bitcoin talk thread entitled Rescalability on 14 June 2010. 
Natoshi says, I anticipate there will never be more than 100,000 nodes, probably less. It will reach an equilibrium where it's not worth it for more nodes to join in. The rest will be lightweight clients, which could be millions. This is the important part, Mo. At equilibrium size, many nodes will be server farms with one or two network nodes that feed the rest of the farm over a LAN. Thus spake Natoshi Mo, thus spake Natoshi. Natoshi's true vision. Oh, I give up. Um, let's call Jordan so we can get some sense on this show. Uh, hello? Hello? J- Jordan? If you know someone who might enjoy the podcast, please feel free to share it with your friends. Uh, you can find us at FOMO.show. You can join our Telegram at FOMO.show slash Telegram. We've moved from Slack. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The FOMO Show. And YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at The FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, please do feel free to subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember... No FOMO. We are good. Lovely. We are good. Mate. We're good. Do you want to know why we're good? Why we're good? Because <laughs> we just ate uh, some cheese. We had a lot of cheese. I think it was so. Danish smoked cheddar. Oh, it was so good. Oh, that little just, oh. And we had, we were a bit fancy. <laughs> mm. We were celebrating episode 20, not purposefully, but we accidentally had cheese and prosciutto. How do you pronounce it? Prosciutto. Prosciutto. Prosciutto? Mate, that was so tasty. Yeah, no, mate. Cheese, prosciutto, beer. It's what inspired you to come up with the idea of a cheese-based stablecoin. Yeah, so, I mean, we're, we're trying to market all these stablecoins to everyone, but I think to get it over the line, we're going to need to peg it to something that has some... Real... Some, some real meaning to people, mm. you know? And so I thought, well, let's have cheese coin and let's peg it to yes. the value of one kg of cheddar. Take my money. But what about when we have disagreements over the core asset? Do we... Do, do we, we fork the coin? F- we have camembert. Mm. We have cheddar. Mm. And then I guess we've got the stilton. Like, there's a very oh, small yeah, percentage blue, on the side. People come in and, and want blue vein or... Imagine that. The blue vein. <sighs> Stable coin. Yikes. Just just alone in the corner chatting to each other. <laughs> cheese coin. Cheese coin. It's a thing. Well. It's going to be a thing. Everyone loves cheese, man. It's so true. Everyone loves cheese. I'd back that. Mm, I'd back that too. I'd best. Let's start an ICO. Let's spin it up. And then create a product at the end. Mm. I mean, we'll take it. We'll build a really nice website. Yeah. So if you're thinking, if you're, if you want to invest in cheese coin, hit us up. Um, cheese coin. <laughs> the future in a world (laughs) broadcasting from brisbane australia this is the fomo show i'm matt and i'm joe mate i feel i feel like you're an imposter (laughs) a very good one (laughs) nothing like you (laughs) i am nothing like you
You want me? I did not know what horses for courses meant until just now. Oh, really? <laughs> different people are suited for different jobs. Oh, right. I thought it was like main courses, like food. No, horses no. are for race courses. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Sorry, mate. I was still no, stuck on good, that. Mate. This yeah. is like watching the news in French. It's got a nice little voice, but it's not a human. <laughs> it's not. Like, I talk to Google like it's my friend, but you can't trust it. No, you can't. And it can be hacked at any and moment. And she's so nice, and it I just like takes her. It's one just such a problem. Man. Oh, you know, why? Why, Google? I just want to love you. <laughs> <laughs> why you have to be mad? <laughs> it's only Google Home.